and welcome to Chef AJ Live. I'm your host, Chef AJ, and this is where I introduce you to amazing people like you who are doing great things in the world that I think you should know about. Today's guests have been on before separately, and there were so many questions we had to have them back on, and here they are together. If you watch the GI Health Summit, they were fan favorites. They are both physical therapists, pelvic floor physical therapists specifically, that's a mouthful mouthful. They work at Sarton Physical Therapy in Orange County. Their names are Dr. Julie Sarton and Dr. Mandy Menino. Please welcome them to the show. It's so it's, I love when you guys are together. Uh, thank you. Thank you for having us again. It's my pleasure. There's a live viewer, and I don't think it's you, named Mandy M., but you, oh. I don't think you're watching it because you're doing this. So that's really <laughs> funny. Welcome, Mandy M. <laughs> so we have two Mandy M. So, so I, we're, we're going to answer questions, and it takes a few minutes sometimes for the viewers to catch up with the feed. So while they're logging on, maybe you could just say, talk a little bit about what you do. What is pelvic floor physical therapy? Why is it so hush-hush? You know, I mean, because really a lot of people, until you hear of it, it's like nobody talks about what goes on down there. And it's very important. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So when we look at pelvic floor physical therapy, like you said, it is a very taboo topic, um, which is kind of interesting because at some point in our lifespan, um, most of us have an issue with it. And so that's how a lot of us as PTs, we get into this um, kind of niche of physical therapy. Um, mine was postpartum and, you know, had my own issues that I went through. So um, I think you know, looking at that and just um, acknowledging it, how common it is, but yet it's not normal. And so I think what, what we hear a lot is, oh, it's common to have this problem postpartum, or it's common to have this problem because I'm getting older, or it's common, you know, whatever that, that next um, kind of word is. And what we're here to say is, um, or I'm sorry, they say it's normal. We say it's not normal, it's common, right? And so we just want to kind of break through and say, the, these things are common, but they're not normal, and we're here to help you. Um, and then when we look at the pelvic floor, here's our pelvic model. Um, what a lot of people don't even realize is the pelvic floor, their muscles, just like we have our bicep muscles, our, ha our hamstrings, all of those, um, but they're obviously in a little bit more of a sensitive place. And so um, it's a very, becomes this very taboo topic. Um, but when we're looking at the pelvic floor here, it's this group of muscles that sit around, this is a female pelvis. So we have the urethra, um, the vaginal opening, and then the rectum. And so then we have our pelvic floor muscles that sit all around. And from this view, you can see both the external and then these are getting into our levator ani muscles. And so it's gonna have a huge impact on our bladder, um, on our bowel movements and on sexual function. And so that's what we really specialize in and why patients um, and our friends and family come to talk to us about these issues. And we're so excited, Chef AJ, because, um, because you're right that this is so under-addressed, under-discussed, right? It's taboo. It should not be taboo, right? So I always say all, all roads lead to the pelvis, right? Eventually. I mean, it is at the core of our body. It's one of our inner core muscles. And so, you know, people are like pelvic floor. Well, what's it for? And Mandy just touched on that beautifully, right? So we have these four functions, really five functions, right? So these muscles help keep us continent, right? They help with the sphincters closing so that we don't pee in our pants and accidentally have, you know, any fecal loss too. They help hold up all our organs. So they have a supportive function. They fire with every single step we take working with our abdominal muscles, our low back muscles. So they're part of our inner core, right? And then there's a sexual functioning role too that most people don't realize. And these muscles need to be both lengthened and strengthened so that we can have great sex. <laughs> wow. And there's a lot going on down there for sure. There is. Yes. It just seems that, that I, I know very few people, especially women as they get older, that don't have some kind of problem down there, whether it is painful sex, incontinence. And I mean, is there a way to, we can just avoid this as we age? So, you know, it, that brings up a great point because I, um, I think we touched on this last time when I, we were on, but I would so love to see this as not just standard of care, but flip the switch and say, hey, can we be preventative instead of chasing the problem once it happens? Because it is quite common, right? At some point in our life, you know, we're probably going to experience some kind of pelvic floor dysfunction, regardless of what, what realm that's in. So could we 
And I know it's terrible. I said this last time, I'm like, like we go to the dentist and you're like, don't use that analogy, right? Who wants to go to the dentist? But I'm like, could we, you know, think about having every woman and actually man, because men have pelvis floors too, come in at least once a year for screening, right? I mean, it's a big trend that we talk about too in pre and postpartum care. Let's not wait again. Let's get every woman who's pregnant in for pelvic floor PT. Let's get every woman going through menopause in for an exam with pelvic PT. See what's happening with the muscles, right? Let's get every um, surgical, pelvic surgical patient, regardless of what the surgery is, in for some prehab and let's address the pelvic floor musculature, set you up for better success with surgery. And then after, same thing. So, you know, other countries have pelvic PT as standard of care. Again, just like, you know, we mentioned uh, previously in France, every woman the second that she's pregnant gets sent to pelvic PT for, you know, somewhere between eight and 12 visits. It's just what happens. And I think really of kind of, I want to mention Dr. Um, Chef AJ is, so when we look at low back pain, how many people, I mean, I think every one of our viewers um, right now could say they know someone with low back pain, right? So there was a study done in 2018 that showed 95% of women that have low back pain also have pelvic floor dysfunction. So I think we're missing a huge group of people. Um, they're getting referred to the typical outpatient orthopedic for their back pain. And, you know, they're getting some improvement, but maybe just can't can't quite figure out what that missing link is. And so I think, um, especially because I came from that background of that ortho world that I just look back and think how many people are probably being missed um, that have a pelvic floor dysfunction that's also playing into um, their back pain. Yeah. As Holly says, well, will doing Pilates help and how much would a person have to do? Yeah. So we actually work very closely. We have a Pilates uh, trainer here on site that we work very closely with, looking at trying to improve the diaphragmatic breathing, um, just the overall breath system, core musculature, making sure that we're firing and recruiting muscles correctly. Because when we look at the um, core system, at the top, we have our diaphragm, the bottoms, the pelvic floor, and then in the front deep, we have what's called the transverse abdominis. And then in the back of that core system um, is the multifidi. So some tiny little muscles that connect along the spine. So we wanna make sure that system is working efficiently. Um, anytime it's not working efficiently, it can increase your intra-abdominal pressure, um, meaning that pressure here in your abdomen. And if that pressure is increased, it's gonna essentially put that extra pressure where the weakest link is. So for some, it's their pelvic floor, it starts leading to pelvic floor dysfunction. So yes, absolutely. We would want to be working with um, a Pilates, a trained Pilates um, instructor along your journey. And I would just add to that too, that um, you know, when you do work with a Pilates instructor, ask them what their experience is with pelvic floor dysfunction, mm -hmm. because not everyone understands that component. And so, and if you are struggling with one of the issues that we're talking about, um, then get yoked up with your Pilates instructor and a pelvic PT together. Great. So many people said they saw you on the GI Health Summit and that you were very informative and helpful and they appreciate you being back again. Uh, uh, Dwin says, help, my pelvis has fallen and it's almost like it's coming out. Uh, yes, there another issue. So pelvic organ prolapse, you can have uh, either the uterus, you can have the bladder or the rectum that can descend. And um, there are various degrees of prolapse, which just means like she said, ah, it feels like it's falling out. So um, you're typically what you want to do is a, you want to make sure you are seen both by a public PT and an MD, such as a urogynecologist, OB-GYN or urologist. And then we go after strengthening the pelvic floor, that function, right, of stability to help hold up all the organs. So there is a lot you can do in terms of uh, being, you know, we teach the patient to be her own therapist to really integrate not just pelvic floor strengthening, but all the core mm -hmm. musculature that, that Mandy just talked about too, to help, again, the stability of those organs. Yeah, nice. something um, I know when I had looked back at some of the notes in the talk that I had given um, a while back, Chef AJ, um, there was a viewer that had asked about pessaries and, you know, are they helpful? So in um, cases where the pelvic organ prolapses 
actually coming out of the vaginal opening. Um, we can work with a MD to get a pessary. We do not fit or, um, or make those. That's something that the doctor would do, but we'll work with our, our patients um, with those pessaries. And then again, the big thing is the strength and stability, but also teaching them how to better um, maintain a better intra-abdominal pressure. So they aren't putting all this excessive strain on their pelvic organs, which are then causing them and contributing to them um, prolapsing out. Yeah. So uh, Carolyn asks, is it possible to prevent hemorrhoids from occurring when giving birth to a baby? Do other species have this? Like you never hear about dog. I mean, I've never heard of like dogs or cats having pelvic floor dysfunction or hemorrhoids or. You know, it's so interesting you say that because my family, we're looking at adopting, um, we want to have a therapy dog actually to come into the clinic. And one of the dogs I was looking at was being rehabbed for a prolapse. So it is possible after, yeah. Oh my, who knew? Who knew? Give birth, they can actually have uterine prolapse. So um, yeah, it is possible. <laughs> well, do they have, do yeah, they have that answer, Chef AJ? <laughs> you know, it's funny because when my dog Ginger had a TPLO replacement, she went to a physical therapist just for canines. I wonder if they have pelvic floor canine physical therapist. I don't know how you're going to get the dogs to do the biofeedback next on your show. <laughs> I would love it. I would love it. Oh my God. That'd be amazing. Do you do that biofeedback thing, that thing where they hook the electrodes to the, uh, do you know what I'm talking about? Because I've had this kind of therapy once. I forget what it's called, but they, they put like little things on you and they watch the thing. Right, right. And then you can either have electrodes externally around either the vaginal rectal opening um, and the perineum, or you can use a probe that is inserted internally. So I, um, biofeedback's a little controversial in my opinion. So I've been around for a while, for about 24 years. I have some strong feelings about it. I don't think it's the best, honestly, um, I think avenue for treatment because, um, and I've used it plenty in the past, but you, a, a patient can actually quote cheat, right? The, the electrical output of the pelvic floor is measured, but we don't know if the pelvic floor is being engaged correctly. So a patient could do a quote Kegel incorrectly and bear down and there's still recruitment of the pelvic floor, but the pressure is that Mandy was just talking about the intra-abdominal pressure isn't, um, you know, isn't being utilized correctly. So, but it can look like on the computer that you're doing just a perfect job, right? Activating your pelvic floor. So I, we use in this clinic, we call it manual biofeedback because there is nothing like human touch. We glove up with our hands. We actually feel what's happening with the pelvic floor. We look to see, is the pelvic floor being recruited appropriately? So for example, with a Kegel, there's two parts to that, right? So there's a squeeze and there's a lift and an elevation. So a lot of people can get the squeeze, but then they'll bear down. So, um, and bringing me back to Pilates, like I had, I had a patient once who was a great Pilates instructor and I'm all, oh my gosh, I her on the table. Why don't you go ahead and do a Kegel for me? I'm like, you're going to be an expert at this, right? So she Kegels and I'm palpating her pelvic floor and that's what happened. She squeezed and boom, pushed down. And I was all, oh, can you do it again? So she did it and she pushed down. And it was just an aha moment for me because I'm like, oh my gosh. And I was like, oh, okay, we need to correct this. And I'm like, are you teaching your patient or patients or clients to do that, right? And in her brain, proprioceptively, she didn't realize she was doing this. She thought she was doing this. So yes, biofeedback is good. Machine versus hands. I always say, you know, manual biofeed, manual biofeedback is truly the best. And so I have... Um, abandoned. We have a biofeedback machine here. It stays in the back closet all the time because, um, yeah, because I don't feel it's as effective. So that's possible that a lot of people are doing their kegels incorrectly. Yes. And we see that a lot. Um, typically when I first evaluate someone's, um, pelvic floor strength, muscle strength, um, I'll just ask them, go ahead and do a Kegel, how you think you're supposed to do it. Um, cause I don't want to lead them into it. I want to see what they, they think, um, you know, is correct. And oftentimes it, it is incorrect. And so it, it takes time. And like Julie said that using a, a digital, um, manual biofeedback is really critical. And then we're able to really know what, what they're recruiting, what muscles they're firing, and then we can better teach them, um, to, and we can physically feel if they're able to then, then do it. 
Nice. So some another Mandy says, would you recommend working on your pelvic floor muscles if somebody is feeling like they need to pee all the time, possibly due to stress? Yes, absolutely. So that's the last part of that statement is very important too when you talk about stress. So when we look at um, the pelvic floor and how it functions, um, so when we look at the pelvic floor, it's driven by the autonomic nervous system. And so that is broken down then into two systems, looking at the sympathetic and parasympathetic. So when we hear the sympathetic, that is our very stress, right? That's like, ah, the bear's coming, let's run, let's get away, we're here, um, we're running away. The parasympathetic is our very rest and digest. That's where we're kind of healing. We're in that meditation, that calming Zen um, type of activity. So if we're constantly, whether it's a stressful job, whether it's a lot of stress at home, whether it's this kind of crazy world we're living in, that's bringing uh, extra stress to many people. Um, a lot of that can lead to what we call a hypertonic or a lot of tightness at the pelvic floor. Now, when, why that really matters is if Say, for example, I'm holding my fist and a hand or my hand in a fist for a prolonged period of time, say 10 minutes or, you know, and then it goes on to hours and hours and days and days and months and then years of kind of this, this tightness, this tone you're going to see my knuckles start to go white, right? They're not getting good blood supply. They're not having this normal blood flow going on. And so when you look at that, then in relationship to the pelvic floor, if these muscles here are constantly in this very tight, well, they're putting pressure on our urethra, on our vaginal opening, on our rectal opening. And so, yes, absolutely can lead to increased urinary urgency, um, increased um, frequency of urination, um, and so a very common reason we see people and we talk a lot about uh, that stress and kind of down training. Um, so looking at adding in a little bit of a meditation, a little bit of that diaphragmatic breathing to try to get us in a more calming state versus this constant like, ah, what's happening, um, you know, in our lives. And um, just to build on that. So make your fist because that was an awesome analogy. So if I'm a structure running through, right, right, this tight muscle like this, so whether I'm a urethra right here, I'm a, a nerve, the main nerve of the pelvis is the pedendal nerve. Um, if I am the rectum, right, sitting right through here in the anal canal. So if these muscles are too hypertonic, right, there are going to be issues. So down-regulating, like Mandy said, the nervous system is critical. And then we go in, we glove up and we actually manually take these muscles and we lengthen them back out so that they are super happy and they get all their blood flow, oxygen, nutrients that they should get. Great. Thank you. Uh, Jamie says, I'm having burning during intercourse. I pee a little while rebounding. She's thinking rebounding might help this uh, pain during sex. So rebounding? Rebounding is like when you jump on a mini trampoline. Oh, got it, got oh, it. Oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, so, uh, maybe <laughs> So <laughs> it all depends, right? So I wish I could say an absolute yes or no. It really depends on what the state of the muscles are doing. So it's got to come back to, again, getting the right assessment, because if you take a muscle that's already tight and you rebound and you jump, it's probably going to make it even shorter and tighter, which could in turn create more compression on the main nerve that innervates the pelvis, more burning than with sex. So a precursor to that, if that is happening, is the muscles need to lengthen. You need to learn how to lengthen, open up your pelvic floor. Um, there's some key stretches, breathing, manual techniques you use. And then, yes, eventually rebounding could be good as you enter into the strengthening phase of rehab. Yeah, and I think right now would be a good time just to mention Chef AJ. So what we hear a lot and what a lot of patients come to us and say is, oh, well, I've been working on my kegels or my doctor said do kegels. And so when we're looking at these issues where we talk about things are really tight already, if we're taking an already tight muscle and then trying to strengthen it further, um, we're causing more harm than good. Yep. So in the- so There's nowhere left to go, right? If my bicep is already, if I walk around with my bicep contracted like this in a chronic shortened state and I want to strengthen my bicep, we're not going to strengthen it. So exactly what Mandy said. So, um, yeah, we and need I, to lengthen. Yeah. And I think this is something, you know, I see quite a lot And myself. I was told to start doing kegels, um, postpartum. And for me, that would have been the worst thing I could have done. Um, and so I think that's why it is really critical to have an actual pelvic floor assessment by a trained 
skilled pelvic floor physical therapist. So that way, you know, what does your tissue, what do your muscles actually feel like versus trying to guess. And obviously we've seen a lot, we know kind of the tendencies of where they run. Um, but it, nothing beats a, an internal pelvic floor assessment. Terrific. So here is a question from Patty. She says, I've heard that doing sit-ups is actually bad for the pelvic floor. Is that correct? Uh, do you want to take that one? Yeah. Want... So, so when we look at sit-ups, um, the big thing that I'm looking at and I'm concerned about again, is that intra-abdominal pressure. Um, so if somebody doing a sit-up is not necessarily a bad exercise. And I think that it's gotten a lot of bad attention in the past, just saying, oh, don't ever do a sit-up, um, you know, again. But if you are able to properly do a sit-up and properly key, um, cue your muscles and you recruit them appropriately, then yes, you can do sit-ups sit again. But I think um, the number of people that are able to do that um, and if they have a pelvic floor dysfunction, they're probably even less likely to be able to do that initially. Um, but if that's a goal that they have, it's something they want to talk to their provider about and, um, you know, work on a plan to get them there. Great. Uh, Karen is saying that pelvic floor PT during pregnancy would have been wonderful. Yes. So here's a question on, uh, oh, here it is from Dean. I will be having hemorrhoid surgery soon. Should I consider a screening prior to surgery? Yes, I absolutely. Again, before any surgery, pelvic surgery would be, that would be ideal to see a pelvic floor PT. Um, because the healthier your pelvic floor muscles are, the fascia, all the connective tissue around that region, the healthier that is, the more successful you're going to, uh, you know, the more success you'll have with your surgery and less likely that you'll flare after your surgery too mm -hmm. with pain. Yeah. Is this something that anyone could just like, could they just, they have your phone number in the show notes, can they just come in or does it have to be ordered by a doctor? And if so, what kind of doctor? And is this something that insurance generally will pay for? Yeah, so in the state of California, we have what's called direct access. So patients can come directly to us initially without needing any kind of referral from their doctor. Um, so that's something that, you know, we can, we offer telehealth appointments for those not local. We do have an out of town program also for anyone wanting to travel in to see us. Um, and then we, you know, serve our local area um, and, and community here. Great. And, and, and insurance does usually pay, right? Because we're physical therapists. We just, this is a niche practice, a uh, specialized area of PT. So, um, so it depends on every individual practice and how they're set up. Um, but yes, most insurances will co obviously cover PT. So yeah. Nice. Gina says, if I have to pee a half hour after I drink a glass of water, do I need pelvic floor treatment? Yes. So it's definitely something um, that you would want to see uh, either a urogynecologist, urologist, and start having that conversation and coming to see a pelvic floor physical therapist. So whenever, um, you know, you're talking about having to go to the bathroom pretty um, right away after drinking something or shortly after, um, we want to look at just your overall voiding schedule and what that looks like. Um, if somebody is going to the bathroom very frequently, um, we want to know if they're completely uh, voiding or completely emptying whenever they're going to the bathroom versus are they having any residual um, remaining. So we test that looking at a post-residual void test, which is done at the doctor's office um, versus us here. They'll look and see if there is some lingering um, urine um, that's in there, or is it just something where we're getting these frequent urgencies and then we need to talk about urge suppression techniques and then looking at the integrity of the muscle and um, uh, treating it appropriately. And I think I'd add to that too, is that normal avoiding should be somewhere mm -hmm. between four and six times, four and seven times a day. So if um, that person is peeing more frequently throughout the day, yes. If um, she's getting up more than once a night, yes, then you need then head over and find a pelvic PT and who's yoked with a good doctor. Right, because Linda said, I'm awake several times a night, I have to pee, is that pelvic floor weakness? So that, or, well, so again, weakness or actually the opposite. It could be that the muscles are actually too hypertonic. So remember that concept we talked about, right? So then if you're not emptying completely, you're gonna have to go more frequently. So 
the treatment would be different then. Still, you need to see a public PT, just different what happens once you're in our office. People that get chronic UTIs, is there anything you guys can do for them? Yeah, so the first thing we wanna know is, are they confirmed UTIs that they've actually had cultures or are they just suspected UTIs? Because that's something we see very, very often. Our patients say, I go, I got a culture, they're always negative, but I feel like I always have a UTI. And then we're looking more at the pelvic floor and looking at the hypertonicity or that really um, tightness that's then leading um, and contributing to their symptoms. And so when we're looking at, at those symptoms too, we, we spend a lot of time um, looking also at the surrounding structure. So looking at the abdomen, that fascial um, component that's also feeding into it, um, looking at the inner thighs, those adductors in their close relationship and connection to the pelvic floor. So it's not just, um, we don't just treat the muscles of the pelvic floor. We are looking at the supporting structures around it and making sure um, we're working as a system and we're all working together versus everything trying to do its own thing. And then we end up with these, these issues. So you have over 30 muscles that attach on the pelvic girdle. Like that's an insane amount of musculature, right? So for example, we just had a male patient who came in and he presented with urinary urgency frequency. He was going like, you know, up to 15 times a day, waking up four times a night. He got diagnosed with prostatitis. It, he had been on a year and a half worth of antibiotics, which is terrible because he never had an infection. It was not... It was not a problem with the prostate. The prostate was the victim. It was all his muscles. And it was fascinating because when I did his exam, not, we went in through all these muscles through the abdominal wall. And as I palpated in here, I reproduced his urge to pee. Because as Mandy said, right, the, the pelvic floor doesn't work in isolation. So you can get these referral patterns with these other muscles too. So his pelvic floor, when we palpated, it reproduced his urge to pee and so did his abs. So just another good story mm -hmm. to remember that a good medicine, get your cultures and make sure you check and don't go on antibiotics unnecessarily. <laughs> um, and then look at it, look with a wider lens with what's happening. Right. So this is a more specific question from Susan on rebounding. Can, can rebounding actually hurt the pelvic floor? Rebounding exercises. Yeah. So I like, I mean, I like rebounding in general because I think once the pelvic floor is in a healthy state, right, it helps load to explode the pelvic floor, right? So, and it should, those muscles should react, right? When we jump, when we exercise, when we move. So I think it's a great, a, a great activity and exercise. I just think again, that, that missing piece right before then would be what is the state of your pelvic floor musculature? And, and if it's a little hypertonic, let's get it healthy. And then you get to rebound. Awesome. Right. Because then we take that bicep muscle and we're going to take it through or that pelvic floor muscle through full range. And then we're going to bring it back and we're going to get it to experience like this increased load with bouncing. What about people that have incontinence, but it's at night and they're sleeping and they don't wake up. I mean, until the morning and they're, you know, Mm -hmm. And then they leak if they have an issue or um, actually they completely pee, but they don't know they, they didn't wake up. Yeah. So that, that then becomes uh, another layer that we need to investigate with a physician, right? Because the sensory awareness on the brain, what we call the proprioception is, a, is absent, right? So that signal should be waking us up enough to like alert us. Okay. Got to get up and go to the bathroom. If that's absent, then we need some further testing done with an, a very skilled urogynecologist, urologist to see what's happening and why did that signal uh, get lost? Nice. Great. Let's see. Oh, JL says that uh, on a vet veterinarian show by Dr. Coy, they showed that cows and pigs have prolapses. So ha, see? <laughs> but I'm guessing it was oh the female. I bet it's the female ones though that gave birth. Wouldn't you? I, I would guess. Yeah. Yes, yes. But men can get prolapse too. We've had several men in our practice who ended up with rectal prolapse. And why do you think that happens? It's back to that intra-abdominal pressure. So a few of them, they did very heavy weightlifting, right? But they didn't control the forces coming down. So you hammer this, right? And if you don't have appropriate strategy, then the rectum can actually bulge out of the external anal sphincter. Wow, wow. Suzette says, can specific exercises cure incontinence completely at 60? 
Yeah, we see, you know, it, it varies obviously patient to patient, but yeah, we have great success with our patients who suffer from incontinence. Some, it may be a new onset. Um, you know, a newer onset is typically a little bit easier or quicker to treat versus someone that's um, struggled with incontinence for years. Um, the longer it's been going on, those muscles have more of a memory of, you know, not working or functioning in a correct manner. But um, to say someone at 60 should be incontinent, um, no, there's definitely um, working with a pelvic physical therapist, um, you know, I uh, absolutely would see improvement if not complete success. And again, it varies depending on why is the issue happening in the first place. So, and I'll add Chef EJ, just cause you and I were talking about this before we went live, just about hormones and, you know, once you hit menopause. Um, so as estrogen decreases, um, the tissues within the vulva region and even around the urethra will be affected, right? So estrogen is a vasodilator. And what that means is it brings blood flow into tissues. It plumps those tissues up. So even the tissue health of our musculature changes as we age. So is somebody at age 60 gonna have a little bit more of a challenge than somebody say at age 30? Yes, that's where we work. Doesn't mean it doesn't work, right? It just means like, okay, in addition to pelvic floor strengthening, and pelvic floor physical therapy, then we're gonna again, work really closely with a good doctor who understands hormones. And let's look at that aspect as well. And maybe some hormones and estrogen in there is gonna actually help plump up that tissue. So your exercise program now is so much more effective. You know, I'm, uh, I think, you know, I'm vegan plant-based for 43 years. And so many of the vegan doctors, like they tell the vegan population not to go on estrace because of the risk of cancer and stuff. But, but, but I've heard from urologists that there, it does something not just with sexual function, but with the whole urinary, it's like, I, maybe you can explain what it does when, with, for people that choose to go on it. So, yeah, so exactly. I mean, that is, it is a very, a, you hit the, the nail on the head because it's very controversial. And I will say that's, I'm not an expert on this topic. Um, and I would refer you to a great physician who is, but I will tell you all the studies and the scares that, um, uh, that happened around estrogen and cancer, you know, um, were a little bit, we, we can't generalize, not that they were blown out of proportion, but kind of, because it was one very specific type of estrogen that they were looking at. And so, you know, a lot of blanket statements came out regarding this. So um, what estrogen does again is it is, um, because it is a vasodilator, it makes these tissues quote, thicker and healthier. So I like to say, like, for example, you could take a pelvic floor that looks like this, right? That's really thin. The muscle is really thin. And this could be a 70 year old right here who's lacking estrogen versus, let's see what we'll take something thick like this, right? With a 30 year old that has more estrogen. So it's plumper, it's just healthier. So um, yeah, it's it's very individualistic. Obviously, there, if there is a history of cancer, then you need to have a good consult with a good physician about whether estrogen is, um, you know, vaginal, not, I'm not talking systemic, just vaginal estrogen is, you know, is part of, a good part of your plan of care. Um, so yeah, and I think again, we can't generalize because systemic estrogen different than vaginal estrogen. Um, but when we're talking about pelvic floor issues and vulvar, like here's our vulva right here, right? Vulvar tissue health. There are very specific parts of your anatomy that are dependent on both estrogen and testosterone. And as we age, unfortunately we start to lose that, not just the estrogen, but the testosterone as well. So when women, as they get older and find sex painful, is that because of the decrease in estrogen primarily? And so it can be, that can be absolutely one factor. We, again, not a blanket statement, not for everybody. So it's usually almost all these issues are multifactorial, right? So it can be, wow, we have a shift in hormones and the structures aren't, you know, the integrity of the structures are a little bit impaired because of that. B, the muscles, right, can be impaired. The minute our brain perceives pain, what do our pelvic floor muscles do? They're gonna guard and protect. So, right, so even if you go, well, I'm gonna get on some vaginal estrogen, right? So whether that is estrace, premarin, bioidentical, white right, compounded, whatever it is, that's not enough because if we've set up that pattern now of the muscles tightening and guarding and protecting, 
you know, you can have all the estrogen in the world, but you go to have, you know, uh, sex and those muscles are stuck in this contractured position and that's going to create pain. So, uh, combination, usually multi, what we call multimodal treatment is required. And then also loss of uh, libido occurs often too. Correct. Mm -hmm. Correct. Cause our, as our testosterone's dropping, right? So that's our, the one that gives us a lot of drive. Um, yeah. So, really? so I have a torn rotator cuff and I got 12 physical therapy appointments and then I was sent home on my own recognizance, but told I've got to keep doing it. And cause so with pelvic floor physical therapy, is this, is it a one and done or do we go many times one time, or is it something we have to continue for the rest of our lives? Yeah, it really varies on each case. Um, you know, each case is unique, but our number one goal is that we want to teach our patients how to be the CEO of their own body. We want to teach them the tools that they need to then be successful, um, you know, as, as the months, years go on. And so for some of our patients, they may have that little check-in every couple months and say, Hey, I just want to, you know, get a quick assessment. How am I doing? Other patients say, Hey, I know when something's kind of sneaking up on me and I notice up, I better get my toolbox out. Um, you know, my toolbox and start working on those exercises you showed me any use of, um, a dilator or a pelvic wand or, um, kind of honing back in on those meditation and those relaxation techniques. And so that's ultimately our goal is that we want patients to be independent um, and not rely on us forever. Um, but if they need us, we are always here to, you know, give them that check-in and get them back on track. I wish, you know, you, you guys are the ones that told me about the squatty potty, which is a complete game changer for anyone that poops, even if they think they poop great. Do you have like a squatty potty equivalent for, for other types of pelvic floor dysfunction? That would be amazing if you had like something like that. Yeah, there's all sorts of great tools uh, yeah, that are out there for people that suffer. So here's a sample of another little tool that we actually <laughs> oh, that looks that looks painful i gotta tell you if that's going where i think it's going you don't want it to be scary actually you can use the smaller end right here but this can be used for example we teach women and men believe it or not too um so for example if you have uh pain with sex because these muscles are too tight right through here right then you get to learn how to self-treat with this pelvic wand going in and you can actually learn how to, let me see if I can show a sample, get in and release what we call trigger points, top bands within the muscles to lengthen out those muscles, right? So um, yes, this is a nice little, another little tool. There are, I think you mentioned too, you had, it sounds like you had some dilators too, right? Oh there. my you, God, yeah. that's just, it's just, who thinks of these things, right? <laughs> <laughs> so again, this, this would be a great way to, if you have pain with sex and it's because these muscles are too tight, then you gently insert right in through here. And these muscles slowly get elongated. I always tell patients it's like doing a hamstring stretch, right? And so you gently help those muscles stretch and, um, and become elongated into a happy state. Um, that's needed obviously when, uh, having penetrative Wow. Oh and my one God. of the questions in the past, um, Chef AJ was what kind of lubricants do we recommend? Because yeah, absolutely. Because some of them have something in it. You said that, was it you that said, or somebody said there's something, some ingredients in some of them that are not good for us. Yeah. yeah. So what we use here in the clinic is slippery stuff. Um, some other brands are like Uber Lube, Almost Naked. Um, those are all just nice, clean, natural products versus, um, you know, the ones that you typically see on the shelves. At your at target. Drugs, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. KY gel, especially with warming mm -hmm. agents, yeah. right? And the more chemicals you have, the more you should stay away. Yes. Um, propylene glycol is, is an irritant and will cause burning. And it is in a lot of different lubricants. So just flip over and read labels. And what's the one you said you use slippery something? Stuff. Yes. Yep. Wait, sli slippery one. Yep. Yeah. 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 Let's see it. Here is slippery stuff is a, it's a water-based lubricant, um, desert harvest. This is an aloe vera gel that can be used as well, which is really nice too, especially if there's an inflammatory component going on. And then we actually also use something called emu oil. Um, and this is hundred percent natural and organic, um, and very great for an inflammatory component as well. What about coconut oil? 
Yeah. Yes. You can use coconut oil also. Coconut oil, olive yep. oil, right? Oh my gosh. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's so interesting. So Carolyn says, why do I occasionally pee myself only when I wear tampons? What mechanically is the tampon doing to cause that? Hmm, interesting. Okay. So leaking with tampon use. Hmm. Well, we would have to, we would have to do an exam and look. So that is, that's a great question because I would think it would be the opposite <laughs> usually. <laughs> um, so mechanically then my guess is that there's going to be some kind of shift with um, what's happening with the positioning of her organs, with your organs. So whether bladder or the urethra has gently prolapsed a little bit, we need to do a pelvic exam and just and figure out and see like, okay, what's off here? Um, because obviously when you use a tampon, it's going to create a little bit of pressure on the anterior, what we call the anterior wall that helps support the bladder and the urethra. So yeah. You have any other right, problems? and you can't do an examination with with telemedicine. We do, yeah. so we do see a lot of people with telemedicine. You're right. Obviously, we can't get our hands on a patient, but there's so much that we can do. I mean, and and we actually, yeah. I mean, I I have patients get on the table, and I look at their anatomy as best as I can. We look at posture. We look and see what you know is happening externally. We have them take pictures and send, so we can see and. And we do as much education as we can and self-treatment. We teach self-treatment. But at the end of the day, yes, we eventually we need to get our hands on patients and then teach them how to treat themselves. Great. So Linda says, will pelvic floor physical therapy help me with so much pain that I, that I cannot be examined vaginally without sedation? Forget intercourse. I've had a hysterectomy 10 years ago. Yeah, so we, we do see many patients that come and they're not able to tolerate or they um, don't even want to attempt to try an internal pelvic exam. And so that's something that we work with them. There's a lot we can start with externally, looking again at the abdomen, um, that inner core system, working at looking at external pelvic floor musculature, looking at the hips, um, the flexibility of the adductors, hamstrings, looking at, at the external musculature. So there is a lot that we can start with and we do with many of our patients that aren't able to tolerate that um, initially. And then we can also work with um, a physician to get different, um, you know, looking at different creams as far as um, uh, to help with like a lidocaine type of cream to then progress and try to work on some internal pelvic uh, muscles as they're able to tolerate and as they're wanting to progress to that. And, and just like you would take a muscle relaxant orally, you can actually use suppository form of muscle relaxants that um, can help relax the pelvic floor musculature in some of our really severe cases uh, and patients who have significant pain, they will use this routinely for, you know, a month or so to help break that spasm cycle. And sometimes they'll use it before treatment, sometimes to take that edge off. So we have a little bit more of an opportunity to get in, to start working with those muscles on the inside. But as Mandy said, there's so much you can do on the outside to bias the inside. Wow. Thank you. Here's a question from Amanda. I've had both an endoscopy and colonoscopy. I've also seen a urogyno and gyno. They have all said everything feels fine. However, I feel a bulging sensation occasionally. Any ideas? I'm, I'm not sure where that bulging sensation is, so. Yeah, um, well, okay. So one thing that is important to note is that most physicians are trained organ-based, right? So they're looking at the organs, but they're missing the musculature because they're not trained in medical school. It's no fault of their own. They just don't get this training. So I have a physician patient right now and she's about my age she, and she's all, Julie, do you want to know what I got in med school on the pelvic floor? She brings me in two paragraphs from an old textbook, right? She's like, this is what I got. And so like with her, she had a really severe pelvic pain syndrome called pedental neuralgia. She even, her, her own ob missed. So um, let me not tangent too far away and go back to the question. <laughs> this is what I always do. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so that bulge sensation could be muscle because you can get this mirroring of this like, oh, I have this bulge sensation. 
or it could be potentially prolapse. My question back would be, did your physician, your urogynecologist actually assess you in standing Right. A, did your did that doctor look at your pelvic floor muscles? B, did you did that Euro guy do an internal exam and standing and feel what happens when gravity comes down? And do you have prolapse? It's either going to be a prolapse or a muscle dysfunction. Great. Thank you. And let's see. This is from Angela. I had a C-section nine years ago, and for a couple of years I experienced pain in the lower right side of my abdomen. It went away over time, but when my bowels move slow, I get that ache. Is that scarring? Yeah, so to say if it's definitely scarring or if it's fascial restrictions, um, there's something restricted going on there. And so my, you know, I'm a C-section mama of two. And one of the biggest things that I think we're missing for our postpartum moms is um, talking about scar mobilization. And so looking at, it's never too late to work on your scar and the tissue around it. And so just getting in and trying to move that tissue, um, the scar is made to move. It should not be tacked down because when it's tacked down, that then sits over your you know, essentially over your bladder and then looking at the layers beneath. And so getting in and moving and mobilizing the scar. And then also when we think about constipation, if there's any kind of restriction going through coming from, you know, the uh, ascending to the transverse descending sigmoid colon, then we're going to have an issue with getting um, our uh, having a bowel movement. And so really getting that all moving, if there are fascial restrictions, it's not going to be moving through the system efficiently like we would want it to. Great. So here's a question from Karen. What is your opinion on the medication oxybutynin? Should I be trying pelvic exercises instead of meds? So there was an older study that they did and they looked at meds for urgent continence alone versus pelvic floor PT or pelvic rehab versus the two together. And really the two together did yield the best result. So if, she, if you're already on that medication and you're getting some results with it, then I would pair it with the pelvic PT to take you to a new level um, instead of doing something in isolation. If you haven't started on meds, my first go-to would be absolutely start with pelvic PT first, you know, um, because if you can get it naturally, awesome, right? We don't want to be necessarily be on meds that we don't have to be. Some people do require meds and it's not a bad thing. So uh, yeah, I would layer pelvic PT in on top of it. And then if you're successful for a long period of time, see if you can pull back from the medication. Great. So Patty says, how do you stretch pelvic floor muscles and how do you find a pelvic floor physical therapist? Yeah. So when we talk about stretching the pelvic floor muscles, again, we can use like our wand or our dilators, um, or when you're seeing a pelvic floor physical therapist, looking at that single digit gloved, um, kind of trigger point muscle release. Um, the other thing that we, tr we teach patients is how to do a pelvic floor elongation or so instead of being tight here, we're going to teach them how to elongate those pelvic floor muscles, um, to get some more length. So those are the big things as far as getting, um, some lengthening component. As far as finding a pelvic PT, um, there are a couple resources that um, are online that pelvic PTs can be registered through. So there's a resource, um, pelvic rehab, pelvic guru, and then the um, American Physical Therapy Association, they also have a, a link. So it's the APTA uh, that you can search for pelvic floor physical therapists, either by name or in a city or, or region that you live in the US. And you can just Google too, right. like in your city, right? Pelvic floor physical therapy near me mm -hmm. or whatever, and, and see what comes up and do your research because, um, yeah. yeah, you want to see not all pelvic PTs specialize in all types of dysfunctions, right? So there's niches within the niche. Um, and then to add to what Mandy said is that there are quite a few stretches and yoga positions as well yes. that will really elongate the pelvic floor beautifully. So go back because I think on um, our combined one, uh -huh. or definitely in the summit, we did show a few examples of those stretches. Um, or you can, you know, hop on over to Instagram. We put all, all sorts of stuff. It's pelvic healing on Instagram and we have all sorts of stretches and exercises and self techniques and tricks that you can learn to self treat. Yes. Nice. Okay. Uh, 
<laughs> is this a chat for women only? No, because men have, a, oh. you're saying men have a pelvic floor too, right? Let's get, can we please have a question from a male? We love it. Absolutely. So Cal, if you have a question, we would love it from you. Uh, says, Do you know what would help rectal spasms? Yeah, yes. Absolutely. So all the stuff that we've been talking about, right? So usually rectal spasm is because the muscle right through there. So we're going to show you right through here. So here's the external anal sphincter right here. And do you see this sling of muscle? This is called your puborectalis. We have all these other muscles that come around here. So if these muscles do this and they become too hypertonic, too act, too overly active, then that's going to create pain and quote spasm. So everything we've been talking about, right? So even this wand can be used gently rectally to stretch, right? Um, learning how to do proper breathing, diaphragmatic breathing. When the diaphragm drops, the whole pelvic floor drops. There's a pressure relationship between the two. If, if we're stressed, we're using our accessory breathing muscles, diaphragms pulled up, pelvic floor is pulled up. So, you know, the things that Mandy mentioned, right? Getting into the parasympathetic state, rest and digest. Um, seeing a pelvic PT, learning how to self-treat to lengthen those muscles. Um, think about, again, all the external muscles, our hamstrings coming right up through here, even lengthening the hamstring can influence right through here, lengthening our hip flexors, our inner thigh muscles. There's all of these other external muscles. So um, it's a combination, but that can absolutely be helped. We see a lot of uh, women and men with rectal muscle spasm and rectal pain. Nice. Reba says, it seems like I retain a lot of urine, always feel like I have to pee. And then again, all negative on infection, no pain or burning, have a lot of leakage, especially have to get up at night and pee. This is so common and nobody's talking about it except you guys. I'm so glad you're talking to us about it. Yes. <laughs> yes. ASAP, go find your pelvic PT, right? And if there's not one, we, we can start with a telehealth session with you because likely you have pelvic floor hypertonicity. Or muscle spasm. So again, think of right that that urethra being able to expand the bladder neck dropping down so that we can empty completely. Um, and and if we don't empty completely, we're going to have to pee more um, often. And the bladder is smooth muscle, and the bladder will get used to having maybe only like. 200 cc's and then it goes, oh, time to empty, right? So you have to be careful and not feed into what's called an abnormal or false urge. So we do a lot of bladder re-education training when patients come in too, and you can change that bladder as well, right? The smooth muscle, that bladder can actually learn how to expand and then not be as sensitive so that it has 600 cc's before we're going to empty. Nice. Gina says, what do we say to our internists for them to refer us to a pelvic floor PT? I found that it seems like the gynecologists and the urologists seem to, know, not the internists don't know, but it, it seems like they, those two specialties really know. Yeah. And I mean, most, most providers, if you're going to have the conversation with them and let them know like, Hey, I think I have pelvic floor dysfunction, or this is, these are my symptoms. This is why I think I would I should go to pelvic floor physical therapy. Most are pretty open to referring. Um, and then again, check with your state, see if you need a referral because a lot of states have direct access that you can go directly to your physical therapist um, without a doctor's referral. Great. Lily says, would you recommend jade egg or yanni egg to strengthen? I don't even know what that is. I'm being an out, Chef AJ. Yes. Well, so again, it can be a really nice adjunct, but we want to make sure that the, the health of the pelvic floor, that you're in a normal, healthy resting state before you're going to use that. So we always need to know that the pelvic floor before we strengthen is lengthened. So eventually, yes. And it depends on where your pelvic floor muscles are starting from. Oh. So Cal, who is a man, is, thank you very much. Is ask, I mean, assuming he is, that's uh, my, my <laughs> Cal. What are the benefits of a healthy pelvic floor for a male? Great question. Awesome. Yeah, so when we look at a healthy pelvic floor, um, we need a healthy pelvic floor for everything to be functioning correctly, right? So if we have any abnormality in our pelvic floor, then we may be having bladder dysfunction. We may be having some kind of um, constipation or, um, you know, 
motility issue there, um, maybe having some kind of sexual dysfunction. So if you're noticing you're having any kind of abnormality, and then I want to pull back again, back pain, um, you know, just because the study came out, it was only for females. I mean, you can't tell me that if men, if they did the same study on men, I would expect the number, the number to be relatively similar. Um, so if you're having any of those issues, then I absolutely would encourage you to see a, a pelvic floor physical therapist. And we think about Oh, uh, I just because Kelsey, are the, what are the exercises that men need to do? Are they similar to the ones that the women do? Very similar. Absolutely. I mean, so really it's all the same musculature. It's the same nerve innervation. The only difference is the genitalia, right? But everything else is the same. So yeah, it's very similar. Um, yeah. So all of, all the treatment is, is quite the same. Yeah. Terrific. Uh, Jamie says, what about burning during intercourse post-menopause? So uh, with menopause and, and burning, we want to rule out if um, what the cause is. And again, usually it's multifactorial. So number one, it could be hormonally related, right? So, or hormonally mediated. So it could be estrogen and not just estrogen, but testosterone, because if we take a look, sorry guys, but here's the female anatomy. Um, so if we have our vulva right through here and we have our labia minora and we go right inside and we have something called the vestibule, which surrounds both the vaginal opening, the urethral opening, that is both dependent on estrogen and testosterone. And when those drop, you can have burning in that area. So a pelvic PT will do a, a very specific test, a Q-tip test, a neurosensory Q-tip test to see if that is part of the burning dysfunction. And then the muscles that sit right in front of that and right behind that can also be so tight um, that they create burning. And then the third option actually truly with anyone that has burning with sex um, or vulvar burning is um, a nerve problem. So, so you want your pelvic floor PT to rule that out as well. That's great. This is a really important question from Gina. And this is one of the reasons we did the GI Health Summit because people were so embarrassed about talking about pooping, even though every professional, they're, they're not embarrassed, but she says, what would they say to a patient that is too shy to talk about personal parts to make them comfortable? Yeah, so it's something we, you know, we do get a lot. We have a lot of um, patients from a lot of different backgrounds, culturally, religiously. Um, and so it's something that we we're going to approach and we want to meet you at your level, right? If, if you're at one level and we're trying to talk at a different level, we're not meeting. And so we want to really meet you at your level and then try to educate you and bring awareness of why we need to talk about a little bit more of the structures and what they do. So that way you have a better understanding of how your body functions and then a better understanding of how you can help, um, in your case and help on your healing, healing journey. I think that's beautiful. And I always bring it back to, to guess what? This is anatomy, right? It's anatomy. So then hopefully it takes some of the taboo or like the, the quote, just weirdness or whatever out of it. Right. It's just, even when we do an internal exam, I'm like, it's just muscle. We're going into muscle and palpating muscle. Right. And I think when people wrap their head around and then they understand, and then they start to really see and put the pieces of the puzzle together, then they're very empowered. So um, yeah, I think we have a lot to, I mean, we've come really far with at least now, because I've been doing this for over 20 years and it was so taboo back then, right? And people are like, you do what? <laughs> and now it is becoming standard of care. So, um, so I just encourage, yeah, to, you know, if you're, if it, if it is hard to discuss it, then write it down. You know, you can communicate. We have an intake form that we ask some very personal questions on and if somebody's not comfortable verbalizing it, they can write it to us. So, and respecting again, like Mandy said, what their comfort level is. Great. JL says, how common are these types of therapists? Can you find one in most cities? In the major cities? Yes. In the rural areas, you may have to travel, um, you know, an hour. I mean, I'm from very rural area originally. Um, thankfully they do have one of my classmates is a pelvic floor physical therapist there, but prior to her, I mean, you were driving at least an hour, um, in other areas when we've done telehealth with patients, it may be two, three, four hours. Um, but if you're in a major city or around a major city, you should be able to find a pelvic floor physical therapist. Great. Uh, 
Dean says, I have prolapsing internal hemorrhoids with rectal tissue that comes out. Is there a way to reverse this condition without surgery? Yes. Yes, absolutely. So pelvic PT would be your answer. So go and find somebody, have them do an assessment and start to learn how to um, contract your pelvic floor. Again, if it's, if it's shortened, you need to lengthen it first and then strengthen it and then integrate. Cause it's not just about kegels. It's never as simple as that, right? Integrate that with your other inner core muscles. Let's look at gravity. Let's not keep you on a table flat, just trying to fire off a million kegels. That doesn't work, right? Let's put you upright. Let's, let's mimic what happens in life. And so that's some of the training that we do with our patients is, um, you know, there's a whole progression with their program, but yeah, get, get to a public PT and then that can be helped. Even if you end up having surgery, I'm like, it's win-win no matter what, right? Because you're going to prehab and be stronger than for surgery and the tissues will be healthier. Great. Now, some people tuned in late and they, they were saying they can't find a lubricant that doesn't sting, but you said they can use coconut oil, olive oil. You recommended slippery stuff. So they can, they can watch from the beginning. Yeah. Marine says, what exercises do you do when you have puden pudendal neuralgia? Ah, such a good question. And go see our Instagram post today. We yeah. just literally posted this like two hours ago. We're going to do a series of different stretches. If you have pudendal neuralgia, we have a lot of information on our website, which is pelvichealing.com. And then on our blog too, um, Every PN patient, so this is a, the main nerve that innervates the pelvis, and this is a very difficult pain syndrome to treat, but we have successfully treated this in our practice, uh, and we have a lot of patients that make it to the other side. Um, I always say the internet is a blessing and curse because there's some horror stories out about that, that diagnosis. But yeah, hop on over, and you're going to see, instead of me describing it right now, just go. It's there. The pictures are there. <laughs> Karen says, our doctors, Mandy and Julie, in the same office in Tustin. Yes. We are. That's great. <laughs> oh. She makes my world better. <laughs> yeah. This is um, this is a very. Uh, we have a, a veterinarian watching, and she says that animals do get a lot of these things. Oh, yes. birth. So yeah. Yeah. Oh, so glad I I don't yep. sharing. I, you know, I, I'm 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 for spaying and neutering because there's so much pet overpopulation. So at least Balo. Bailey's not going to have any babies. That's all I can say. Uh, so here's a really good question. How it was about, ah, yes, I can't find it though. But it was about, I'm sorry. Well, I'll, I'll go to this one first since I can't find a really good one that they wanted to ask, but not that this one is in good, but from Catherine, how do you feel about colonics? Do they have a positive or negative pelvic impact? Um, that's a great question too. So I've had a lot of patients who have done colonics over the years with varying results. Uh, so you need to be careful if you go into a colonic and you have that pelvic floor muscle spasticity or, um, you know, the spasm we talked about, the colonic can then later create a, a flare with that. Uh, on the flip side, it is a great way to detox. It is a great way um, to eliminate if you have tried everything else and it does not work. So in the GI summit, like Mandy and I taught how to do a really good colon massage the right way. You know, you look at diet changes, um, all these other techniques. And if that's not enough, I think colonics then has, serves a time and a place or, you know, can be a good adjunct. You just use caution for those who have pelvic floor muscle dysfunction. Yeah. Uh, somebody's asking what your Instagram is. It's uh, at pelvic healing. I just went at there. pelvic healing. Yes. And you're right. You did post about that, that exact condition today. What are the chances? Yeah, I know. We were ready. <laughs> uh, where is, uh, this is the question. Donna says, what should you do to maintain pelvic health as you age? Great. Question. Yeah. So I, you know, again, I don't want to bring it back to what Julie said earlier about, um, you know, we all go to the dentist twice a year, um, but we should all be having our check-ins with our pelvic, both our, you know, pelvic floor physical therapists, our orthophysical therapists. We need to be making sure we want to prevent these issues. Not, I not find we're them. very, yeah, we're very, we wait till we have a major problem and then we seek treatment versus, um, preventative care, or at the first sign of something being wrong, at that point, get into your doctor, call your physical therapist, um, get it addressed before it becomes a major issue. 
So That's one of the things, I mean, that happens is that the body will start talking to us, right? So perfect world, you're ahead of it, right? You're out, like Mandy said, you just go. But when the dysfunction starts to happen is the body starts to always say it starts to whisper, you know, and then it's up to us to listen. And a lot of us will be like, eh, I don't have time for that. Eh, it's really not important. Eh, it'll go away. So then the body really starts talking. And if we still don't listen, it will start screaming at us. And that's when our symptomology, whether it's pain, right, pain with sex, constipation, whatever it is, um, just, woof, you know, is now just trying to get our attention until we do do something. But at that point, right now, all this dysfunction has set in. So it'd be so much easier if you just go early. <laughs> Well, you know, even though your shirts say, uh, what, what do your shirts say exactly? Yes. Adore your pelvic floor. <laughs> and I would say we need one that says, don't ignore your pelvic floor. Oh, that's yes, brilliant. Yeah. Because, because that's, that's what a lot of people are doing and they end up with these things. So this has been so fun. I hope I have another summit one day just so I can have you guys back. Wow. You are just like wonderful. I just wish you were closer. I, ugh, you're two hours away. So from me, for that, oh, it's not bad, Chef AJ. We're well, gonna... it's not bad, but <laughs> you tried to meet them. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So we have everything in the show notes. Definitely follow them on Instagram. And thank you guys so much for watching another episode of Chef AJ Live. We have two great shows tomorrow. At 11 a.m., we have Tracy McWhorter back, and she's going to be joined by her mother because you guys wanted to see her mother, who also eats like she does and is, is beautiful. And at 2 p.m., we're having a cooking demo with Audrey Dunham. She has a new cookbook called Vegan Christmas Cookies and Cocoa, and she's going to be making macaroons that are chocolate dipped, and they're going to be amazing. Thanks again, Mandy and Julie. You guys are the best. Oh, thank thanks, you, Chef, Chef AJ. AJ. Right. Take care. Okay. Bye. Bye.